When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode of Adjust Your Tracking is brought to you by our friends over at the Criterion Collection. Uh, those of you that listen, I'm sure most of you, you probably know about the Criterion Collection. They're an awesome boutique DVD and Blu-ray label. They also have their features available on Filmstruck to be streamed. Uh, so we want to thank them for being a sponsor in this episode. I just want to note that I will have some individual Blu-ray titles that are coming out this month of February. It'll probably be citing those on, on the next episode next week, I'm sure. So stay tuned for those titles. But for now, we just want to thank Criterion for looking out for us and for helping us put out this episode of the podcast. Our other sponsor with a few titles I need to cite specifically would be another awesome uh, DVD and Blu-ray boutique label. This one would be Arrow Video. And a couple of the titles they have coming out uh, will be available by about mid-February is the uh, very, very great, I almost forgot about this movie, but the uh, I believe it's from 2010, the documentary uh, Henri-Georges Clouseau's Inferno about the uh, failed making of Clouseau, uh, the director of Wages of Fear, and uh, Diabolique, the original French, sort of the French Hitchcock, uh, he was known as. Great filmmaker. Um, and this documentary charts the failed production of his, what people considered his most ambitious film, uh, which was going to be called Inferno, I believe. So uh, it's a great documentary. I saw it at a festival years ago, but uh, really looking forward to catching up again with this one on Blu-ray. Arrow Academy has put that out on that label. And Arrow Video, continuing their love of Italian horror, giallo specifically, uh, uh, has recently uh, made available now a Blu-ray for The Bird with the Crystal Plumage. That's uh, Dario Argento's, I believe it's his first film or one of his first features. So I have not seen this one. I've heard many great things from the Argento fans out there. They they tend to cite this uh, as one of the better films of his. So um, looking to get beyond Suspiria and some of his more well-known titles, um, this one I'm looking forward to diving in as well. So thank you to Arrow Video for... Uh, but just doing awesome work. I hope they keep it up and thanks for supporting this podcast. Now on with the show. Hello and welcome to Adjust Your Tracking. I'm Eric McClanahan. I'm Joe Von Oppen. Joe, it's it's been a couple weeks since we recorded, but to me, you know, in my in my heart, I feel like it's been so long, so much longer. Where have you been, man? Yeah, I mean, you're always in my heart, so you're not you're never that far. But you know, there hasn't. I mean, it's maybe it's like trite to talk about how what a wasteland January is for releases. You know, everybody's usually just catching up on the best of the the last year mm-hmm. through the course of January. And so like at that point, you, all the movies have been nominated for what they need to get nominated for. And you're tired of the same movies getting referenced. Like, yes, Lady Bird is good. Shut the fuck up about it. Can we talk about something else? Talk about the new Gerard Butler movie for Christ's sakes, you know, just 
Because <laughs> you're just you're, you're tired of it. As great as all of the nominees are, like you're just tired of hearing about them. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, there like there wasn't there just wasn't a lot to discuss, you know. And uh, I true. mean, we we kept like volleying back and forth, like, all right, let's 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 try, you know. <laughs> and we what never got, you know, it's it seems absurd at this point. Um, with how fast content gets like desperately churned through. Um, but uh, like the new season of Black Mirror, whose whose new home is on Netflix, came out um, late December last year. And so we're a month and a half behind <laughs> on that. And uh, its relevance and validity was like maybe a week long in terms of like the, the popular attention span. Mm-hmm. So, um, but you know, we're going to fight against that, that tide of like kind of, uh, just instant, instant commentary, instant dismissal. And we're going to, we're going to discuss, you know, a sort of overview of the, the show itself. Cause we haven't really, you know, talked at length about the show. It's definitely been a reference point, yeah. um, for like other movies and like the, how, how much of a, an influence it is on just sort of like pop culture at large. And, um, but like never talked about the show itself at length, um, <clears throat> which the show was brought to my attention before it kind of got um, found Netflix as its platform when it was just a BBC show. Um, our, our super fan um, drew drew brought it to my attention when I was purchasing his television from him. Drew. And, uh, and he was looking at the turned off TV and was like, I think this is what they mean by black mirror. And I was like, <laughs> what the fuck are you talking? Like, I don't, I didn't know what black mirror was at that point. This was like, uh, five years ago. And so, uh, he brought it to my attention and I was like, Oh, that sounds really good. I should, uh, I should look into it, looked into it. And it's like, it's first two seasons were three episodes each. And then with a Christmas special. And then once it got to Netflix, the seasons got longer and the last season came out in December and they came up, they're pretty fast after each other, like a year apart Mm -hmm, with like, mm -hmm you know, seasons that are six episodes deep and like the episodes are pretty in depth and pretty like sprawling. And, you know, I I think we should say too uh, the creator who writes, I think every episode, most of them solo, uh, Charlie Booker, is that his name? Um, is it Brooker? Brooker. Thank you. Yeah. I think he's like a news personality or he's, he's been a media personality in the UK for I think decades and has done other shows as well. So he seems to be one of these guys who's got like his hands in a lot of different pies, I guess. And um, yeah, he's the main creative force of the show. Mm-hmm. And you're right. It Black Mirror itself sort of started as a thing that you had to torrent. You had to find illegally. You know, if you lived in America, like once you started hearing about it, I maybe this was before when you found out about it. I'm not sure. Were you able, I guess, when you learned about the show, Joe? Were you able to access it at that point or was it still elusive? You're going to make me admit that I watched it illegally. I did too. I've already admitted. (laughs) Um, A lot of stuff like from the BBC often finds its home like temporarily on like YouTube. And so like episodes were sort of put up like haphazardly and inconsistently and then taken down because of copyright infringement and whatnot. So, um, right. Um, it, while looking up to verify Charlie, it's Brooker, not Booker. Um, I'm reasonably certain I just saw him at my grocery store. So that's it. <laughs> he's living the LA life now, dude. He's he's getting that Netflix money. money. 
Yeah, it could be. I could be wrong. He could not be here at all, but there was someone who looked very much like him at the checkout behind me so if our audience is anything like me right now we are being we're we'll just wait with bated breath well the suspense is killing us but check back in next time let's see if joe sees him a kid at his grocery store yeah <laughs> um so so yeah this 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 new season like after um after last year's like there was I, I, th- I think one of the episodes that was nominated for Emmys, I believe, San Junipero from the the third full season, and this is the fourth season. Uh, it's one of like the the best episodes, and so it's just like every season has like breakaway kind of like episodes. And if you're not familiar with the show, um, it's it's you know at this point like a dystopian uh, pop culture juggernaut. So yeah. it's just like. It is very like it. It dictated the reality that we're living in in so many ways. Um, <laughs> that like you know, an episode I believe on season two was about a cartoon character getting elected to a government position mm-hmm. uh, in in England. Although and- he does not get elected, that world made somewhat more sense than our current one, Joe. He didn't, but he got far right. Oh he, yeah, like, oh yeah. In the election process by being a mouthpiece for ignorance, and like it just became unclear. The person behind the sort of shit talking cartoon, um, it was initially started as satire, and then it got away from him, and that feels like our reality. Mm-hmm. You know, writ large is that like it's a joke that everyone lost the thread on, and like there are now grave dangers that we're staring down that like real people's lives are endangered and, you know, threatened. And so it's just like, it's not funny. It's and like, <laughs> no, I don't, I don't know that anyone thinks it is anymore outside of some very dead hearted nihilistic uh, internet trolls. But, um, you know, it's just like, we're in this like weird time of like everything is topsy turvy. And so it seemed like, the exaggerations uh, depicted in Black Mirror's dystopian kind of fiction all of a sudden became like lapped by our reality. <laughs> and so the reality we find ourselves in currently that Black Mirror is trying like trying to stay a few steps ahead of like by whatever with the abstract technology it's either depicting because it's primarily a show that uh, shows where we're at currently through an exaggerated technology that's like you know, at this point, most of which isn't that far away. Right. You know? And, uh, so with this season, um, you want to just talk about like what, uh, what, what stood out to you in terms of this and how, how much, how different it is in terms of like what it predicted and like how the show has to change in order to sort of like reflect, uh, you know, an all too eerie reality. It's it's a very leading question, but a perfect one for me because. It, yeah, sorry. No, no, no. It's Here's a, what you need to say back <laughs> after answering this question. I will read my dialogue perfectly. Uh, yeah, no. Um, it's in many ways. I guess where I go from what you're saying, where I leap to, and I'm sure you know where I'm going, is my favorite episode of this current, this new season of Black Mirror. Um, is I think my favorite of the series so far. But Mm -hmm. the main reason is because it seems like the reason I love it from, you know, what I've gathered, as you pointed out, we've had about a month and a half or so of time passing since it's been available, which is like years and internet time. But it is still worth bringing up 
Black Mirror on the podcast for us because I think like these are essentially individual short films. Yeah. And one thing that's cool, as I sort of digress uh, subtly or mildly here, uh, is that this season of Black Mirror in another episode that I enjoyed, the last one of this season, I think it's called Black Museum, that Mm. sort of confirms what a lot of us had thought or at least the theory running is that this these episodes are short stories contained but they cross over and they exist in the same universe it's not just random reality it's a timeline that they're sort of creating a futuristic as you said dystopic timeline Uh, i thought that was really cool to have a sort of buttoning thing at the end of an individual episode uh, that sort of tied this show together in a way black mirror wouldn't need to go anymore it'd be a good way for it to end, but I think they are going to continue with this. And I'm also fine with that. Now, the reason I'm okay with that is because I think the best episode of this season was like by far metalhead. The one we've talked about off mic, we've texted about it. Like director David Slade. Um, I'm trying to think of some movies he did hard candy 30, 30 days. days of- right. Um, God, he's done. He's never really, I don't know, for me lived up to like maybe some of the hype that comes in genre circles, uh, for some of his movies. It's not like, I think he's overrated. It's just, he's not clicked for me yet personally, but this episode that he directed, I think is just, it is like, just seems like him taking a new level in his career of like, he's stepping into something interesting with this, with that episode. And, um, I should hand it off to you. Cause I feel like I'm, I'm going to just blab about it, but that's a good starting point. Um, I think is, uh, this episode Metalhead, which uh, to you, Joe, I want to know what you think about this. <laughs> this this is like the Terminator and Predator as though it were directed by like modern day Lars von Trier. And that's a kind of sweet, weird mix that this episode has. And um, it's one of my favorite films of 2017. I had to retroactively add it to my list of 30 that I've talked about in the past, Joe, this, this metalhead. Mm-hmm. Um, and before I hand it off to you, I keep talking, but uh, I, it's another maybe thing to get at is like, do we consider these films? Like, do they deserve to be on the same list as uh, stuff we go to the theater for? I don't know. Maybe that's something we get at down the road, but I consider these individual you know, cinema. So it works for me, but, um, you know, what do you, what do you think of this crazy intense episode, um, metalhead? Well, it's, I I think it's like, as I was watching it, like, I think it was one of not just because it's shot in black and white, but it's one of the most visually arresting, uh, you know, entries like in a series that's like pretty visually adventurous for the most part, but it like, I feel a lot of the attention is placed on whatever hook or whatever gimmick the sort of like angle of its commentary on technology is in each episode. Mm-hmm. And so like, that's more the focal point is like whatever the twist is, whatever the the sort of like the hook of the show that episode is. And it doesn't really, it's not really show offy in terms of it's like visual language. So the fact that this was like striking in this like very specific way and it was like it kind of left the like narrative alone and just or left you alone in the narrative to like figure out and piece together what was happening. And it's stripped down, right? It's like a chase. That's it. It's It's simple. It's super stripped down in that sense. I think it operates best as um, like it it honestly could be fleshed out to be a feature length film, which Uh a lot of the episodes of the season and most of the seasons, like some of the films like, or some of the entries like border on feature length running time, like Mm -hmm. hour 10, hour 20. 
And this was like a little under an hour, but it's I like think 40 like, minutes. It's actually one of the shorter ones. Yeah. But I think like just considering what sort of makes it into midnight movie categories at film festivals and stuff like that, like the set of mm. kind of like really gritty, visceral, stripped down survival narratives. Like, and this one has like such an interesting like world and premise of these like security bots that are like in the shape of dogs and move like dogs that are like hunting this woman through this kind of like decimated landscape. And it's like, it's beautiful. And it's like, it's really, it's, it's really dire, but like in a way that like, even for this show. (laughs) Yeah. But it, in a way that's like very like poetic and kind of stunning. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I could have stand, I could have, could have stand to see, um, I didn't say that sentence any better than I wanted to. <laughs> I set out to correct myself. I could have stood, right? You got um, to watch like, you know, something twice as long. I could have. That's really interesting. An hour and a half long version of this story. And um, yeah, and like, and it, it did definitely like, it was, it was striking amongst a season that was like, you know, solid for the most part. There were, there were some, episodes that were just kind of like that felt like placeholders in terms of like what the show can accomplish. And I was like, yeah, that was, that was another one and it wasn't bad or distracting, but like it wasn't as strong as other ones. And like this was, you know, far and away one of the more like arresting episodes, but it, I don't really see or hear anyone like, no, you know, discussing its merits. It's kind of like, it's kind of dismissed. Cause I don't think it has as like, hooky of a premise you know i think because it's so stripped down in the narrative sense that we're getting at like it's the exact opposite of correct me if i'm wrong every other black mirror episode which is dense you know almost twist rug pulley type narratives right i mean not they're not all the same but everything is narrative plot heavy whereas this this is something that feels like it could be if an exciting leap forward if assuming Black Mirror continues that they are opening it up. David Slade has sort of created something that isn't like a typical Black Mirror episode, but opens it up now for other genres to get in there. Because isn't that, I mean, that's what I always love about um, what we do call it, like an omnibus show or like a, a, a with, what do they call it? God, I can't think of the, the anthology. Thank you. Good Lord. Uh, um, an anthology series where it's not each episode is a single standalone story. Like, I just think the fun and potential of that is like any genre they could do, you know, and grafted on to this world. Um, and metalhead is like the most exciting for me because of that stripped downness, the, the simple chase, uh, narrative of it. And, um, gosh, I don't know, like the villain, the, the technology, uh, bad guy in this, uh, which is like, these things kind of exist in a version already. Um, to, to sort of go off on what you were citing earlier about the show of like a lot of this has either come to fruition or a version of it has already existed is yeah. they're like these, it's not a drone. It's like a, it's like a robot dog, but like a version of these kind of exists. So imagine these sort of, you don't get the backstory, which is another good reason that it would be fun to flesh this world out. Right. Cause there is so much more to learn. Um, I guess the question is, would it make this story better to know more of the backstory or is it great because it's 40 minutes of just nonstop? You know, you get a little breather in the beginning, a little, a little breather, like maybe 20 minutes in, but it's relentless. 
And I don't know. I, I loved all that about it. The stuff that was sort of taken out that I would love to see more of is also the reason I think it's so great that it just kept that stuff out. I don't know. It's it's a pretty awesome mix with, with that episode. Yeah, I think the the more people fixate on like creating the mythology around something, mm-hmm. the less we can kind of like thread our own, you know, like uh, we, we can find relevance like in it, you know, because it's like insisting on like mapping the world out so thoroughly that it's like just this fantasy landscape as opposed to just one that's kind of grimly reflecting our own, which it does, you know, like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We're, we're living in a time of like insane surveillance and like, it, you know, insane like development of technology that like, you know, if, that we, we sh- should probably be more cautious about, but like, you know, like within the last few months there have been, you know, like, robots patrolling San Francisco like uh shoot that are their intention is to shoo homeless people away and it's just like what the fuck like, how did we get how did we get here and how does that how does that not like smack us into it like uh, a sobriety that we're like oh my god like we need to stop this but like we're in such a daze now that like the that all of the things that seem far-fetched in most dystopian fiction don't seem that far away anymore. Like I refuse to listen to people say what a ridiculous idea the purge is anymore. Where I'm just like, no, like the reality that we find ourselves quicksanding into is just like, that's the stupidity that would lead to a premise like that. You know, it's just like, so I, yeah, I don't know where was I going with this, but, um, <laughs> your faith in humanity. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Dimming. Dimming. Um, well, they, I think but, it's, it's uh, something you're, you're getting at is the f- part of the fun, but the terror of black mirror, I think the appeal of it for people, because in some ways it's kind of crazy. The crossover popularity yeah. the show has for being as fucking bleak as it is. Right. But right. maybe it's because there's a lot of people like you and me who also just are like, are are we not paying attention to the signs or it also can, I don't know. The darkness has an entertainment value in the show too, that I think is very clear, you know? Um, but it's also fun to, I don't know. Like I, it doesn't freak me out. I think like it does you, and maybe that's not a fair characterization of what you're talking about, but, um, well, I think, I, I think what's different about, um, some like the standout episode from the previous season, um, San Junipero, which I, I mean, I think it was a standout episode, but like, I agree. It was great. And nosedive as well, which was sort of yes. like chronicling, um, you know, like our, our online culture and the, the, the sort of like the currency of being liked. And it was just like, that one's like not even far fetched in any sense. It just right. makes, it just makes that culture immediate in the real world, as opposed to this abstract cloud floating like around us at all times. <laughs> and so it's just like, both of those I think had an example of like a brightness that um, is it like finds its way into this new season with, um, you know, episodes like the, the kickoff episode USS Callister, which is like, it's a very bright episode. And like, even though it's sort of like assessment of kind of, you know, uh, wounded nerd misogynistic tendencies, like it's indictment of that it still is like one of the funniest episodes and one of the most hopeful in its conclusion, you know? And so like, I think hope 
is like with San Junipero, with USS Callister, and with like uh, episode like Hang the DJ, which sort of reflects San Junipero somewhat in its depiction of like dating and you know and whatnot. Like there's there's like a hope and an optimism that's like present in those episodes that I think is like the only choice in like dystopia because like the the more (laughs) our reality gets like in just it just feels like stuck and on this like insane downward trajectory um i feel like it like the more we look to like dystopian fiction to like kind of clarify where we are Mm. the more it seems to be giving us like directions of like where we should head to a worse situation (laughs) you know (laughs) well like just like that george orwell book or that (laughs) You know, Aljous Huxley book. You know, see, it was so not so bad. You like you like that book, right? You know, like, <laughs> well, no, no. These I, were warnings. These were dire. Like, these were supposed to electrocute your system into like waking up and into like to to change the course of things so it just doesn't get progressively intensely worse. Like, you know, that's why authors like J.G. Ballard. Mm-hmm. Or like he would create these like fictions that were intended as like warnings, you know, of like where we're potentially headed. And um, yeah, it's interesting. I, I really think that the eventual hold up that we're going to get into oh, yeah. is it like it definitely falls in line with all of these things we're talking about. I agree. And let's spin off. Let's let's pivot to that soon. Very soon. I just. uh last i guess note is uh the is the episode that jody foster directed called archangel yeah yeah that's another one that i really liked that uh speaks to maybe your your last point there of like uh it's it makes me wonder like okay so really fascinating episode also really brilliantly edited i thought Mm -hmm. uh and constructed episode i i thought it was a fascinating one um, Rosemary DeWitt, great actress. We've talked about her in the past from like Lynn Shelton movies plays a mom who gets this technology implanted in her daughter. And it's one of those classic black mirror things where it's not the technology that's evil. It's, it's the, it's us, it's humanity yeah. that fucks it all up. And the classic black mirror episode in that case. And I, I really liked that one too. And I just, I guess as you were saying what you're saying, it makes me wonder like how many parents, completely understand what that mother character is going through in that episode and could see themselves easily abusing a technology like that because, because of a, an inherent like desire to do the right thing, to be a good parent. You know, it's like, it's that, I don't know, good black mirror episodes always sort of play off of those, those dueling things and they get really naughty and complicated of like, it comes from a good place, but you're doing evil shit. And, um, I, I see that one not being cited. It, it seemed like that one didn't really catch on. You know, a lot of people have seen these episodes and everybody has their opinion. But yeah, the ones I tended to like the most in this new season, uh, definitely, as I said, Metalhead was amazing and I continue to rewatch it. But yeah, I liked Archangel too. And even some people, uh, for understandable reasons, given the in-your-face controversial or, you know, confrontational nature of Black Museum, like... Um, but those ones I found really fascinating and, uh, it's a fun show. I hope it continues. And, um, you know, maybe before we do spin off into our hold up, Joe, like, do you, do you care? It, do they, do you care about concluding these in my, do I even need to bother with, does it qualify to be on a, a top 10 list or something like that? Like, 
should we all just move Look, on already? On <laughs> off the rails in terms of what's qualifying for your top thirty, and With, plus the top thirty, give me a fucking break. Uh, <laughs> well, it's you know, you know, I do what I can. <laughs> Look, there was a commercial for Geico that I thought was really good, good enough to qualify for my top fifteen of two thousand seventeen. I really wish you would do a comic book guy voice from Simpsons, but I know you never would because you're not that. That shows that's that's my. I love that show. You're not so much for you. I know that. So that's not fair, but it'd be great if you did. I, well, hey, don't pit me. Like I love the show too. Don't pit me against it. It's just oh, like that. I'm sorry. You're, you're a Simpsons quoting guy. I'm not a Simpsons quoting guy. Oh, okay, good. Now I know more. I, I always thought I seem to remember you not being dismissive of Simpsons, but you were like, I get it, but you know, but maybe I'm mis- I'm misremembering. Thank you for clarifying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no problem. And you know what? There's nothing worse than an asshole uh, telling you what you are. Even a even you know that that's not cool. So I'm I apologize. Um, Thanks, but, asshole. <laughs> you know what else is terrible, Joe? Hmm. Getting phone calls. Nuclear the, war. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Meeny 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 meeny. What? Meeny 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 meeny. What? Meeny 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 meeny. Hold up. Wait a minute. Now just wait. Our next movie is a strange doomsday fantasy named Miracle Mile, which begins with boy meets girl and ends with boy loses girl and rest of civilized world. The movie sometimes feels a little bit like Martin Scorsese's After Hours. Both movies are about a guy who meets the girl of his dreams and the encounter leads to an endless nightmare. This isn't as good as After Hours, but it does work and it is effective. It didn't work for me. Um, I keep not liking these pictures. <laughs> uh, I don't know. To me, it would be a lot... The reality of a situation like this would be a lot rougher, mm-hmm. a lot, a lot meaner, strange, alienating. Uh, people would be grabbing each other a little bit more, and not in a theatrical way, but in a, in a disconnected, strange kind of way. This, to me, seemed—I hate to say it—more like a movie. So, uh, whole, we're doing a, a new um, installment of Hold Up for a film we've actually already discussed, um, not at length. I don't think um, it no. came up. Uh, six years ago, like around the, you know, the very start of the adjust your tracking podcast um, where we were, we were discussing uh, the film that we will discuss at length today, miracle mile in conjunction with a film that has been largely forgotten. um, Also about (laughs) the end of the world called seeking a friend for the end of the world with Steve Carell and Kira Knightley. And I think I like, I think we'd already seen the press screening of it when I was just like, can we like talk about this other movie that does this thing really well? And like <laughs> you agreed to see it. And so we discussed it, you know, like pretty, pretty quickly. Um, but I wanted an opportunity to really um, dig into it because for one, uh, we stand frighteningly back on the precipice of nuclear annihilation for some reason. Uh, nobody knows why, <laughs> but um it's a it's a film from 1989 that um, is one of two films directed, written and directed by Steve DeJarnett. Yeah, and um, it's got a like it's one that I saw pretty early. I rented it a lot as a kid, and um, it just made it like a gigantic impression on me. It was like because the movie, though it's like funny and has like whimsical qualities is gigantically traumatic. Um, it's got one of, um, you know, coincidentally, Charlie Brooker actually talked about the movie. Um, there's a 
a monograph about uh, Miracle Mile uh, written by Walter Chaw, um, a, a writer who just talked about the film like at length over the course of like a 140 page book um, discussing it. Like it's partly autobiographical about the impact it had on him, but he quotes Charlie Brooker, Brooker talking about the film and it's gigantic lurch in tone, just mm. like how the movie goes from following this like whirlwind courtship um, of a, a trombonist who meets like <laughs> who he considers to be the girl of his dreams over this kind of like, you know, ethereal day in Los Angeles, this like hazy afternoon. He meets her at the, this museum at the La Brea tar pits. And then over the course of this day, they sort of strike up this like whirlwind courtship. And, um, like, uh, they're supposed to like reunite a few hours later after her shift and through a series of events, he sleeps through his alarm. He misses, he misses her by a few hours, gets there super late and, um, gets to the diner where she's, she had been working and answers a ringing telephone that um, is a, on the other end is a panicked uh, man who thinks he's talking to his dad and tells him that like, you know, we're locked into nuclear conflict. We've launched our missiles. We're going to be receiving it back in an hour and 10 minutes. And then, then all hell breaks loose essentially because he finds out that he's not calling his dad and then over the course of the next hour and 10 minutes, mostly in real time, the main character is trying to piece together whether this is actually happening and can he get to the woman of his dreams in time before what he's fearing is going to happen happens. So that's a good description. Okay. Yeah. So now with that out of the way, um, <laughs> yeah, this, um, this movie, like I, this isn't a traditional holdup episode because mm. you and I have both seen it. I mean, you, you had last seen it at the time in 2012 when I initially asked you to watch it. Mm-hmm. Um, but this isn't, I'm, I'm really not concerned with whether this movie is still good because right. like to me, I know it is. It's <laughs> just like, wh- why does it still have this kind of like seismic impact on me? Mm. Can I and, answer that? Uh, yes, please. Well, you go ahead. I don't want to cut you off if, if you had something else you're going with. No, no, no. I was just uh, like, I was going to discuss like how this is a different episode. Um, yeah. But, you know, tell me, tell me why this has an effect on me. I, I mean, I, I kind of texted you about this as I was, as I like finished watching it last week is I, I got, when I first watched it, I got why you liked it. But this viewing for one, I personally enjoyed the movie even more. I really went along for the ride. Mm hmm. And that is the that's the key for this movie for anybody coming to it clean. And if you sort of if you've listened to this podcast and you like you tend to line up with me and Joe's taste, maybe Joe's taste even more. I think you would dig this movie for sure. There's it's one you it's like a it's a gem, and that's where maybe it fits as a different kind of hold up. Is uh, do we just want to shine a light on an older film and it's connect it's it's as you said it's about an insane turn that happens in the movie where it becomes about. Armageddon, nuclear Armageddon caused by our country, you know, like it's fucking relevant to concerns right now. You know, understandable concerns, but I think this movie, okay. So this movie's getting at, you know, uh, 
I don't mean to imply you're a paranoid person, Joe, but if people are listening to this episode, they get it. You're 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 worried as all of us are. We're all scared. We're wondering what the hell's going on. So this movie has that. I know you love a wonderful real time set in less than a day movie experience. I'm I'm a fan of that as well, but I know that's definitely a big one for you. Mm-hmm. This movie is a great one of that. Uh the juggling of tones uh is an amazing achievement in this movie. And I have questions about the director you referenced because I don't know anything about him, but uh, I want to know more. But uh, because that's impressive. And as a directorial feat, this movie is very impressive. And lastly, I'm going to connect it to a movie you basically hated from last year that I loved, Mother. Mm -hmm. But holy cow, is there a deep structural similarity and sort of escalation in narrative and on-screen mayhem that both movies share that I, I adore or I, I love in both movies for what they do. But this one helped me understand why you love Miracle Mile, but Mother rubs you the wrong way of like, Mother's just so oppressive. I mean, you talked about that on that episode when we discussed it. Like, it's oppressive. It's this like impotent cry out that you're like, yeah, I get it sort of thing, you know? And uh, and this is a movie that looks at Armageddon, that looks like the humanity destroying all things, but finds such a sweetly romantic path to get there because it decides to follow this character, this hopeless romantic Anthony Edwards, who's in L.A. And I I think, Joe, you are a hopeless romantic at heart. And if I'm mischaracterizing you again, please, please let me know. But I think I think this movie is just it's it probably amped up your taste or created your taste in a lot of ways. I don't know. I, you know, but there's uh, as I've been stupidly saying, uh, there's, there's a lot of your DNA in this movie or a lot of this movie's DNA in you. I don't know. Maybe. Both. Yeah. It, it, it definitely like at a very impressionable point, it like left its mark on me as a child, you know, where, and then I, I returned to it like it was it was definitely something that like stuck with me. But like in my adult life, I kept like re like introducing people to it I was like, can you believe that this existed like this? <laughs> like and it was it was like such a striking piece of writing. I, I, I've i read that like, you know, it was a script that had been around for kind of a while before it actually got made. And it was like picked up by Warner Brothers. And I think that they wanted to change the ending um, and they they were trying to fashion it um, like a, they were going to make, I think another twilight zone movie and they wanted it to be an installment much like black mirror. Like a, it's an anthology mm-hmm. and one that, you know, sort of like is a, is a hard dark look at our, you know, humanity and reality through the lens of like dystopian fiction. Like they wanted to fashion it the, you know, that way as like a, a twilight zone esque thing. And, um, Steven Jarnett, who this was like, this turned out to be a second film after he made a movie called Cherry 2000, but he, uh, he bought the film back from Warner Brothers once it sat in limbo for yeah. like a few years. Cause it was, I believe it was finished in like 1980, 1979, 1980. And so it was like at the start of like, all of the paranoia about the cold war and like nuclear annihilation. And so like, there was a bunch of films that came out in the early eighties uh, like the day after threads, uh, Testament, you know, and Red stuff Dawn? like Yeah. No red Dawn, Yeah, for sure. Um, and, and so like it was, it was in the air, but like after he, he got, you know, the, the film back, he, it still took a while. And he was like, the only way he can protect 
that it ends the way it needs to end is if he directs it. And so he, he wound up getting it made eventually. And after that, like the, the nuclear threat had sort of dissipated in terms of like Russia being our nemesis anymore. And so people fault, like people claim that like the movie was only a sleeper hit and not more of like a, uh, like a substantial box office contender because like, ah, no one cared about nuclear war anymore, but that's almost like, that's, <laughs> that's what's so blindsiding about the movie is that like truly we're all powerless, you know? And like, that's why the, like the, the hint of it isn't really ever suggested early in the movie. Like it's like, there's, there's kind of like hints at the, the creation of like all of like all matter and the universe itself at the beginning of the movie. Cause it's they're so great. Yeah. It's so bold, but, like, man, you know, but in terms of like, you know, a conventional thriller would introduce like in t- like cutting to a newspaper where it's like tensions rise between you know, <laughs> like Russia superpower and like spinning newspaper. And, yeah. And like, and you know, the, the fact that like our, our protagonist isn't tasked with like a way to solve it. Like, it's just like, it plunges you into this. Is it happening or is, isn't it happening kind of like frenzy where like in that frenzy things can be hilarious or they can be really devastatingly upsetting. And so it's just like, and it's not, you're laughing at the devastation or like you're devastated by the fact that you laughed at something unfunny. Like the two are just coexisting because as things like ramp up in this movie, (laughs) it's still as funny as it is frightening, you know? And it's like, it's not one or the other. They're coexisting in this sort of like, nightmare momentum that the the movie is like kind of lost in and like the first 30 minutes in the movie before any sort of like tone is shifted it's got this like dreamy ethereal quality that i think you know the it was scored by tangerine dream which like so good the well yeah i love it i love tangerine dream like their work in the 1980s like that's another thing that is has just like a giant imprint on me and like the the quality of like they're able to find a commonality and like a link in movies that should have nothing to do with each other. Like a movie like three o'clock high or risky business. There's like, there's this dream that can lapse into a nightmare at any second, the way like dreams do, you know, like you, it could, the terrain could just radically shift all of a sudden. And so there's elements of paranoia in risky business. There's weird kind of, expressionistic nightmarish qualities in a high school comedy, like three o'clock high. And then there's like a romantic comedy that turns into an apocalyptic nightmare and miracle mile. And so like they're, they're like the perfect like orchestrators of this terrain that could like switch in any given second. And it's so, it's so ethereal in the beginning. And then it like gets so urgent, but still strangely beautiful, you know, like as it gets nightmarish in the world, they're trying to like work through, to figure out is this or you know is it not happening so so you your second time watching it yes um so like were there were there things that like when you watched it initially you were like nah this wouldn't happen and like the, like when you were saying that you gave yourself over to the ride of it like you found yourself doing that more than you than you did the first time oh absolutely um i enjoyed it to only 
only at a remove, I guess, is a way to put it the first time. I knew it was okay. a movie that meant something to you. So I wanted to, you know, be respectful. Well, I, I didn't, I, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I didn't, I didn't hate it by any means. I just felt like, okay, but the, I, I feel like this is fair to say to somebody who's going to come at this movie too. the intense, uh, tonal shifts of this movie are a lot. I mean, jarring is the word, right? It's like, I, I just think it shook my brain up because I kept trying. I've realized this in hindsight too. And, and upon watching again, I kept trying to find reasons to justify it in, um, in a sort of uh, metaphorical sense or something to try to justify, like, how is this insanity actually happening when what you have to do with this movie is just accept that it is happening. What you're seeing is actually happening. So I actually got over that the second time. And maybe that's a good argument for, well, I know why I like rewatching movies because I come at them from this whole different angle of like, I know where this goes. So what else does the film have? And this film has a shitload of other stuff to give you, right? Like beyond just honestly, whatever the budget was for this movie. Uh, I mean, you said it was kind of low budget, right? Like it, it is all on the screen, man. And, yeah. and the escalation, um, another thing that I guess was jarring or I just sort of thought was goofy, but now I find it funny as you're saying, the way the movie coexists and tear and humor and all that stuff <clears throat> are all happening sort of side by side is the, like there's a moment near the end. Shit's really getting crazy. Like they are trying to find Anthony Edwards and, um, is it mayor, mayor Winningham? Uh, the, the yeah. couple they're trying to, they're trying to find a helicopter. They're trying to get up to the building to find a pi- or get downstairs, find a pilot to to uh, to pilot this thing. And he mm-hmm. runs through a gym and finds a guy, the last guy he taught. Like the first time I saw it, that was so goofy that I was like, give me a break. And it was like me trying to figure out, is this a dream? How is this happening? You know, I got stuck on that. But this time I just sort of enjoyed the off the wall, like, well, maybe there would be a help. Like I didn't, I didn't dwell on yeah. it. I went it's, for the run. Yeah, there's an absurdism to it yes. where he's like running through a gym and um, he, he's asking people like, do you, does anyone know a helicopter pilot? And it's like <laughs> half the people are naked for some reason. Yeah. Or one person. Some, well, two, uh, two or three <laughs> He's walking out of a sauna. Oh, that's what it was. Okay. Fair um, enough. Any, any confusion you have, I've watched it so many times. <laughs> Good. You're like, the, you're the authority. Forward. Um, but yeah, there's like the, the movie get compared, um, to after hours, um, I think by Siskel and Ebert and it like, that's a fair comparison, you know, in terms of it's like it occupying this equally terrifying, equally kind of like funny, um, you know, terrain mm-hmm. and like that scene where it's just like time is like desperately running out and it's just like he, they need to find, uh, a pilot to get a helicopter that's like you know, supposed to go to LAX to get the flight out if this is happening. So it's just like all of these like absurd escalations amongst these people. And like, he's, he is the, the catalyst for all setting all these people into this sort of like chaotic momentum, you know, where he's like, nobody knows if it's real. And I think that that like the, the brilliant scene where he comes in from the phone call and he's like disoriented and he talks to the rest of the diner and essentially (laughs) whips all of them into a frenzy. It's so well-written. Come on. Nobody believes this, do they? I mean, if I said it, nobody would. Will you shut up? Just let him talk. Go ahead. Okay, well, I answered the phone because it was ringing. And the guy, he just, he just started yelling, um, Dad, Dad. It's happening. The, the big one. We're locked in. 
Thor author uh, 66 DDZ. Wait a minute. Say that last part again. It's uh, Thor Arthur 66 DDZ. And then he started going, um, oh my god, we shoot off our wad in 50 minutes. You're gonna be getting it back in an hour and 10. Well, and then I said something. And he, and he realized that I wasn't his dad. And so I asked him if it was a prank. And he went, a, a prank? Oh god, a prank. He was just trying to call his dad in Orange County. And then, uh, and then he said, they see me on the monitor. And then someone came in, and, and he started going, uh, uh, yes, sir, uh, no, sir. And they shot him. No, no, I heard gunshots. And then, and then someone else got on the line. And I, and I said, hey, 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 is this a joke? And, and, and all he said was, um, forget everything you just heard and go back to sleep. I knew they'd do some stupid shit like this one day. I knew it, but they're gonna get me when I pass out. Hey, I'm going up to the town, Gabriel Mouse. Mind you, anybody that helps get caught up with ring gas, ring lock the gas. I'm kind of ready. There's a point where, you know, like, uh, the the cook of the restaurant, um, played by Robert Dequee. That guy's awesome. Who, He's he, like he was in RoboCop yep. as like a desk sergeant, and like he is just like he's somebody who once you see him, you're like, yes, that guy. Yep. He's like, and the movie's like full of those type of actors, where it's just like it's like a great cast of like incredibly capable character actors, and um, he freaks out and he jumps up on the counter and screams, "I'm very serious about this shit," and like. <laughs> It's funny. It's not not funny. And I think people like because the tone jumps so drastically, I think that they assume something's wrong with that. But I think that's what's like beautiful about the film is that like if we're truly confronting an annihilation on this scale, like that was a genuine concern and it tragically is still a genuine concern. Like you will be smacked out of whatever reality you think you comfortably occupy. And it will, it will, you will find out things about yourself. You didn't know were there like people who do terrible things over the course of this hour and 10 minutes, steal a car, crash a cop car, set a cop on fire. Like there was just like, you know, like it, it runs through this and like all the while there's like a hope that like this person that he feels like he has found, like, all he wants to do is spend whatever time there is left with this person. Yeah. There is no attempt to stop whatever's coming. There is no like conventional thriller attempt to like undo it all. It's just like, I need to find this person who means something to me. That's the most important thing. And like that hope and that like optimism in the face of like a nightmare, I think is a cocktail that's like difficult for some people to take in, mm -hmm. you know, I think like, it would be difficult to pull off as a filmmaker, right. To, to get. Yeah, that. yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And like, I, you know, met the director and we didn't talk at length, but like, you know, he's, he's somebody who like, this is one of his only films yeah. and like, he's generous enough. I think that like, he hasn't gone on to make movie after movie. And therefore he's like, enough of that one. I want to move on to my next one. Like right. he's, he knows that this movie unique to a lot of people and had an impact. And so he's, I think he's very generous about talking to people about it. <laughs> so fuck me up so bad when I rented it as a kid. And <laughs>
I understand. You know, yeah. I'm like, and so, well, you know, tell me, this. It is, tell me this. How's Cherry 2000? I, I know of that movie. Haven't seen it. Have you? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Like it's, it's a lot goofier. It's like a lot closer to, um, like a buckaroo bonsai type sci-fi movie. Okay. And it's like, you know, it kind of traffics in more black mirror territory about a guy huh. who has an Android for uh, a wife and like she short circuits and like sh- he's trying to track down a model that, you know, is the same as the one who like died basically. And like uh, Melanie Griffith is like a bounty hunter that's ha- taking him through this like hellish landscape to find her. Okay, and so, okay. It's a lot more like kind of goofy than Miracle Mile is. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, just the the ending, the conclusion of Miracle Mile, which, um, you know, we won't give away. But like it was it was something that was so obviously crucial to the vision of the movie to Steve DeJarnett that like he had to buy it back to assure that like it stayed intact, that it wasn't just this kind of like low rent, poorly Xerox, like twilight zone ripoff where everybody woke up in the end mm-hmm. you know and like thank christ for that man jeez yeah no that the, it wasn't like that you know jeez that'd be so yeah bad. no the, the i think the whole film escalates beautifully and there's there's so many if you ever watch it again there's so many like touches and like subtleties and nuances throughout yeah that really like the that the book actually helped kind of like clarify to me like oh yeah that person popped up again and like there they are you know like just people repeating and like how kind of like circular the movie is mm-hmm. the movie's like ends where it starts and like it's just it's really like beautifully thought out but like be, it you know in addition to all of that the conclusion of the movie is so devastating (laughs) and like won't give it away if anyone still needs to watch it um it's it just has a you know just had a blu-ray re-release so it's it's you can be it can be found yeah it's it's available to rent rent on vod places yeah you can traumatize yourself i have two copies on vhs one copy on dvd you're welcome to borrow any of those but like yeah that how did you feel about the ending not giving anything away about it the ending had such because I went for the ride this this viewing, the ending had the proper impact. It it definitely landed for me the first time, that ending. I had no qualms with it, but I was mm-hmm. a little bit hazy exactly how the movie really did like last couple shots conclude. And so that was ref- you know, that was kind of almost like seeing that part new again, but it oh man, it landed big time and it's devastating, yet there's a beautiful perspective that this movie has the whole time because of amongst all the narratives that would be happening and are happening concurrent to the world ending in this story, we follow these characters, right? And they're, they're hope they're they're. I want these two kids to, to make it. They're like, they're, they're great. And like what they represent in terms of um, the sort of spirit of this movie, you know, like this movie does not have a mean spirited bone in its body, but it portrays some fucked up stuff, as you said. And it, it just wears its heart on its sleeve. So like, yeah, um, I could see rewatch value in this again and again, because it, it does seem like a movie that gives you more, the more you watch it because it's a simple plot, right? But everything else, it's everything else going on. Um, 
that's kind of a theme of this episode, I guess. Uh, simple plots where, you know, it's, it's the other stuff going on that makes it so interesting. Um, I, I wanted to say, dude, the book you said you, you, you referenced, uh, by Walter Chow. Is that right? Yeah. Chow. Chaw, I'm sorry. Thank you. Um, he has a commentary on the Blu-ray that you referenced. It's a Blu-ray put out by Kino, uh, Kino Lorber put it out and it's actually a really good restoration. I, that's what I watched it on recently. And I thought that was kind of cool worth noting. So there is a commentary with him and Steve Jarnett together, um, that I imagine given what a fan Chaw is, uh, and, the director being so generous as you reference, it's got to be worth a listen. So uh, I yeah. look forward to seeing you next, Joe, because this is your Blu-ray and I can't wait to give it to you, man. No, thank you. <laughs> All right, man. So what do you say? Should we wrap this one up? Yeah, sounds good. Feels good. So just chill to the next episode. It feels good to be so happy about watching a movie that's so devastating in some ways, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, we, we have to find, you know, the hope. The, the hope. hope. Exactly. Exactly. The hope and the hopeless. And also like, Hey, it's dead out there. Movie wise. We're, we're, we're coming up on some stuff. Black Panther next week, you know, stuff that w- mm-hmm. we'll see and we'll get to uh, annihilation. I'm looking forward to in a couple weeks. True. Um, but yeah, I, I'm so glad to, to do some black mirror, but man, I'm, you know, it's awesome that we got to uh, champion this movie properly. Uh, I hope people find it. Cause it's, it feels like a gem that a lot of even maybe our listeners maybe aren't familiar with. So uh, I hope they find it. Yeah, please do. All right. So let's do it. Wrap up episode 166 of adjust your tracking before uh, we properly close out just real quick. I have to give a shout out to the new Michael Haneke film, uh, happy end. Uh, It's played in LA already. It's kind of cycled through already for you, right, Joe, you, you missed it. I did. Yeah. Yeah. Um, It's good. I like it. It's sort of a greatest hits of Michael Haneke. Uh, If you like him, you, probably are already going to see it, but I recommend it. Uh, I saw it recently and um, yeah, I have to give a shout out to it because uh, uh, I, because I went to a press screen and I got to tell them <laughs> I saw this movie. Anyway, long story short, go see it. If you like Haneke, it's a, it's a good one. Um, all right. So uh, before we close out entirely, I'm glad you referenced uh, super fan, former super producer, Drew Walner on the beginning of this episode, Joe, he, mm-hmm. uh, he stayed with me recently. It was good to catch up. And, uh, you know, I know he listens to these eventually and just want to say good to see you, Drew. And, you know, we owe him a big thank you, don't we? Because like he really got us up and running beyond just being the first person that really reached out to us when we started doing this podcast. He actually helped us get better, you know, and uh, absolutely. Yeah, we couldn't have done it without you, Drew. And we're just glad that this stupid podcast that me and Joe love doing brought us all together, man, because we wouldn't have otherwise. So, uh, hey there, Drew. I hope you're doing well up in Canada. And, uh. You know, the last thing I have to do, though, is is thank you, Joe. So thanks for talking with me tonight. Thanks, Eric.